0: All right, well again, good morning, everyone. This morning, we are in chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles, we'll be in chapter 15 the whole time. Um, And two weeks ago, we saw Jesus promising the disciples that after he left, he would send the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 16 of chapter 14, this is just a quick review, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And we saw that when Jesus says another helper, he's saying that the Holy Spirit will be involved in their lives like he has been involved in their lives. And the Greek word uh, we looked at for another in this context, in this passage, means another of the same kind. So another helper just like Jesus was. But it means so much more than helper and some choose to to actually use the Greek word instead of translating it, uh, paraclete, because of what it means. It means so much more than helper. It means counselor. It means advocate. It means teacher. It means guide and comforter. And Jesus is all of these things to his disciples and more, right? They rightly, The disciples rightly recognize Jesus as Lord, and he's about to be their savior as well. But the Holy Spirit will come and be a helper to them in, in these ways. He will, he will be the means also of Jesus coming back to the disciples and, and dwelling in them. And the Father and the Son will dwell in the life of the believer. Jesus says in verse 23 of chapter 14, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will come to him and make our home with him. And then he ends chapter 14 by saying that he will be leaving soon, but he clarifies that even though the ruler of this world, Satan, is moving against him, the things that are about to happen will happen because Jesus is doing what the Father has commanded him to do, not because the ruler of this world is moving against him. Verse 31, he says... But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And that's where we left off two weeks ago. He says at the ve- and he says at the very end of 31, something I, I skipped over, he says, Rise, let us go from here. And the text doesn't say where they go, um, but many commentators assume that they left the upper room. Remember that this was the last supper. They were having their last supper together. So they left the upper room, it's assumed, and made their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is arrested later on. So as they're going, Jesus continues to teach the eleven. And in chapter 15, where we're starting today, Jesus says in verse 1 I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And throughout the Old Testament, A vineyard or a vine is often used as a symbol for Israel, and it's interesting to note that part of King Herod's renovations of the temple, he did some renovating in the temple. He added on to it to kind of show that he he was a Jew himself. Uh, He wanted to fit in, so he used a lot of his money to do that, and and he he creates this large vine that hangs over the entrance of the temple. Um, or he doesn't do it himself, but he, he obviously pays for it to be done. And, and that represented Israel because throughout the scriptures, a vine, again, or a vineyard represented Israel. And so if Jesus had, had and his disciples had passed the temple on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe they saw this and maybe this was Jesus' inspiration for this teaching here in chapter 15. Either way, the vine... At this time and throughout Israel's history, again, represented Israel. And we can see that in, in a few scriptures I'll point out here. Psalm 80, verse 8 says, You brought a vine out of Egypt, and you drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root, and it filled the land. And then in Isaiah, chapter 5, verse 4, it says, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And by wild, it means inedible, inedible grapes. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured, and I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. So these are just a few of the verses that describe Israel as a vine or a vineyard. And now Jesus declares, I am the true vine. And this is the seventh time that Jesus has used an I am statement. And each time he has used this statement, it's been to reveal more of who he is, more of himself. Israel has failed to produce fruit. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying that he is the true Israel. Jesus fulfills what was intended for Israel. The path to God is no longer through the nation of Israel, but through Jesus. And and what, what do I mean by that? Well, Gentiles were allowed to become Jewish converts. And so if someone from another nation believed in God and wanted to become right with God, they would be instructed to be circumcised, to bring sacrifices to the altar, and to celebrate Jewish feasts and festivals and holy days they would become a Jew, a Jewish convert. And so we can kind of see why in the early church they struggled with this, why some Jewish Christians thought that Gentile Christians needed to become Jews in order to follow God. But Jesus now is the true vine, he says. Remember, he's previously told the disciples that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So he says to the disciples, in verse 1 and 2, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he may take away, or he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus is the true vine, but why does he say that the father is the vine dresser? Well, what is what is a vine dresser? A vine dresser is a gardener, right? One who takes care of the vine and cultivates it, waters it, helps it to grow. In Hebrews 10, starting in verse 7, it says, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. The Father is the orchestrator of our sanctification. That's a, that's a big word. It just means he's the initiator of working in our hearts, helping us to become more like Christ, to be set apart from the world, helping us to become the people that he's created us to be. Sanctification involves discipline, but that's not all it is. It's also, it also involves using circumstances in our lives Um, to teach us new things, to help us understand truth. And when Jesus prays to the Father, just before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, he prays to the Father, they are not of the world, he's talking about his disciples, just as I am not of the world, sanctify them in, in the truth, your word is truth. And so the word of God also sanctifies us. Meaning, it is also a part of molding us and shaping us um, into the people that he wants us to be, maturing us, helping us to grow. And so, here in John 15, Jesus teaches the disciples about this by using the metaphor of the vine and the vine dresser. He is the vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. And then in verse 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. In farming or or being a vine dresser, owning a vineyard, there are two seasons of pruning. And when it comes to pruning literal vines in the vineyard, um, there's two seasons. In the spring, the vine dresser prunes branches to, to produce better quality fruit, and to produce more of it. And he does this by trimming parts of the branches that are growing too quickly, or by trimming some of the flower or or grape clusters so that the fruit would be able to grow more. And the second season of pruning was in the autumn after the harvest. And the vine dresser would cut off dead branches during this season of pruning. And, And again, he would prune the good ones as well, to maximize the fruit production for the next season of growth. And so you can can see how Jesus is using this common practice um, to further explain his relationship with his disciples and, and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. When I was in college, one of my professors used to say that God is more interested in your character than your comfort. And it's true, God is determined for us to grow and thrive. But in order to do that, like a gardener, he needs to cut off the parts that are dead or in the way of us being more healthy. None of us want to experience pruning. Um, we don't enjoy going through it. But after we do go through it and we look back, often we can see growth. We can see how God has used those circumstances to make us stronger wiser, more compassionate, more generous. We need to understand that God loves us so much that he's not going to give up on us. He's going to keep trying to help us grow and to push forward. We need to to grow and bear fruit, and he's going to help us do that. And it can be painful, though. But again, we need to understand that he's going to keep pushing and And like that passage I read in Hebrews says, we are his children, and because he loves us, because he's a good father, he's not going to let us be stagnant. He's going to help us move forward and be fruitful. Thankfully, though, pruning is not every season of our life. Um, There are seasons that are harder than others, and in those seasons, we need to, to learn to rely on him. He gives us strength. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is our strength. Well, Jesus continues in verse three. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And the English word clean here has been translated from the Greek word that is used in verse two for pruning. It's the same word. And so I think the NLT gives a clearer Translation or a clear meaning to this text. It says, this is the same verse, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given to you. Jesus' words, the word of God, is also used to prune the believer's heart and to make us more fruitful. Remember Jesus' prayer to the Father that we looked at a minute ago. He prays, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth the word of God also shapes and molds us. Verse four, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus tells Mary in chapter 11 that he is the resurrection and the life. And he is also the the way, the truth, and the life. And so by describing himself as a vine, Jesus is trying to reinforce previous teaching. And he does this a lot throughout his ministry. He, he teaches and he repeats it, or he'll take something he's previously said and he'll frame it in a new way. When we, when we place our hope and our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, we are united with him. And this picture of Jesus as the vine and us as his followers, as the branches, gives us a better idea of of what that union looks like. We abide in Jesus. we, We remain connected to him. And he gives us life. A branch of a tree is alive because of the sap that flows through the trunk, right, to the branches. Without sap... The branches die. Remember we saw in chapter 14 that Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would live in the disciples of Jesus. When we become followers of Jesus, God lives in us. We are united with Christ. And and that's only possible because the Holy Spirit is living in us and so when we abide in Jesus when we remain in him and live in him and through him and when he abides in us we bear fruit and Jesus says here in verse 4 that unless a person abides in him they won't bear fruit because they won't have his life flowing through them then he he reiterates this in verse 5 he says i am the vine you are the branches Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing, nothing of eternal value, that is, nothing that will last forever. And remember, there, there are two seasons of pruning. Jesus is now referring to the second season of the harvest in, in verse 6, which we're about to read. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Obviously, this is a metaphor for judgment. And like any metaphor, it can be taken too far. Jesus is not saying that we can lose our salvation. I want to look at another metaphor that Jesus uses. He teaches about false prophets in Matthew 7. And starting in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So, in this metaphor, in Matthew 7, Jesus is teaching about people who claim to be prophets from God, but they are not. And he says they will be recognized by their fruit, meaning they're not going to be teaching and doing things that line up with God's character or with his word. And he calls their fruit bad fruit, They teach and do evil things, and so they will be thrown into the fire. They will be judged. Back in John 15, Jesus gives us a similar message, or sorry, a similar metaphor. He says in verse 6, let me read it again. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So just like the false prophets that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, some will claim to be followers of Jesus, but they are false followers. Judas Iscariot would be an example of a false follower. Maybe maybe he's the ultimate example of one because he followed Jesus, the incarnated son. He followed him around for three years, listened to his teachings, saw his miracles, the miracles that confirmed his teaching and who he was, and yet he still chose unbelief. He chose not to accept Jesus as Lord and master of his life. He chose to steal and to betray Jesus. And he proved that he was not a true follower of Jesus. He produced bad fruit. Like Judas, there are some who profess to be Christians and yet their lives either have bad fruit or no fruit at all. No sign of heart change, no sign of God working in their lives. And like the false prophets and like Judas, judgment awaits them. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This seems similar to what Jesus has taught in the last chapter when he says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father will be glorified. When we are abiding in Christ, when we are actively seeking to do his will, we are actively seeking to do his will. And if we're actively seeking to do his will, then we will be actively seeking to pray for things that align with his will. A few months ago, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And one of the things that Jesus teaches them to pray is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if we're praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we're sincere about that, if we really mean it, then we're not just praying for it, right? We're also seeking it. We're also trying to live it out. And so the Father is glorified when we are on track, when we're living for Jesus and and truly following him. And it, it makes sense that if we're on track and we're actively seeking to do god's will to to live our lives for god alone it makes sense then that he would be glorified through that by this my father is glorified he says that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples and, and by prove, he doesn't mean that the goal is to show our proof proof is a is a pretty strong verb and and we're not trying to prove anything Fruit is the evidence of being a true disciple, right? It's the result of being a true disciple. It's a natural outcome. Just like fruit grows on a tree, it's a natural outcome of that tree. And it can't be the other way around. We can't have fruit without first being connected to the vine, connected to Jesus. So we have to be careful not to to misunderstand the context when we're reading this. Proving ourselves is not the goal. Abiding in Jesus is the goal. Anyway, what does this show us about bearing fruit? There are two important outcomes. First, when we bear fruit, we glorify the Father. And secondly, when we bear fruit, we demonstrate true faith. Again, fruit is the natural outcome of true faith in Jesus. We're not not conjuring it up. We're not trying to produce it on our own. It's the evidence of Jesus' work in our, in our heart, in our lives. Verse nine, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Our love for Jesus is patterned after his love for the Father and the Father's love for him. And, and so how do we do that? How do we abide in Jesus' love? Well, he tells us in verse ten. I don't need to skip, it's there. He tells us in verse ten, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So again, our 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 love is patterned after Jesus' love for the Father. And he gave us that example of obedience, right, to the Father. And we are to remain or abide in the love of Jesus by being obedient, by keeping the commands that Jesus gives. Verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We receive joy through abiding. And and we abide in the love of Jesus in a very practical way, right? We abide by being obedient. And so obedience can be directly linked to joy. The purpose of Jesus' teaching is to lead us to abundant life and, and not to burden us with rules and restrictions. Um, that's what the law did, especially when it was expanded upon by the Pharisees. They they made their own rules based on the law. And Jesus says in John 10 Verse 10 The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. The pleasures of this world may seem like freedom. They seem like we're not restricted or tied down, um, that we can do whatever we want. But if that was real freedom, then there wouldn't be any consequences. And we all know that sin has consequences, right? When, whether we see those consequences now in this life or whether in the next, there are consequences for sin, death, and judgment. And that's what the enemy, the thief, wants. Jesus says the enemy came to, to steal and to destroy, to kill and to destroy. Jesus is the good shepherd, as he tells the disciples in verse 11 of this passage in John 10. He came to guide us. He came to lead us to abundant life. And, and who doesn't want that? So we have to decide, do we want the imitation what the world offers because it looks good? It's shiny and it's attractive? Are we going to fall for that imitation of abundant life? Or are we going to go to the one who can provide the real thing? I am the true vine, Jesus says. I am the good shepherd. So we follow the good shepherd. We trust that he is going to guide us to green pasture. But if we trust him, then we're following him, right? We're, we're actually doing what he says we should do. John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And Jesus' teachings, his commands, they don't save us in themselves. Jesus saved us when he died on the cross for our sins, and and, and when we accept that and live in that truth. However, his teachings are a part of sanctification, meaning a part of making us more like him. And, And the more that we know him and live in the truth, the more that we want to know him, and live in the truth. This is this is what he means. This is what he's talking about when he says that we are to bear fruit. It becomes the evidence that we are growing in Christ because of the change in our lives because we're overflowing with this fruit with with peace and patience and kindness and self-control, right? The fruits of the spirit. Following Jesus is not a burden, it's a joy. And that joy and the hope that we have of a future with Jesus, remember in the last chapter, Jesus talked about preparing a place for his disciples and that he was going to come and take them to be with him in the future. That joy and that hope gives us strength. In chapter 8 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah says to the people of Israel, Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. the The people of Israel at this time were grieved because they had just returned from Babylon, from their exile, and they had gathered to listen to the first five books of the Bible, being read to them. Uh, they called it the Law, and they hadn't heard the Law for a long time. Maybe, maybe never. This new generation. Um, And they were grieved because they were not following the law. They were not doing what God had commanded them to do. But Nehemiah assured them that this was a good day because they were coming back to God and that obedience to him would result in joy. And and that would be their strength. Back to John 15. Jesus continues and he repeats an earlier command. He says in verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is really trying to drive this home. Remember, he, he first gave this command to the disciples when after he washes their feet. And he's just said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. What, what a beautiful picture. If we're loving each other as he has loved us and practicing this command of Jesus, then we're abiding in his love. And so practicing love, by practicing love, we're we're going to overflow with love because we're connected to the God who is love. Jesus has said earlier that the fruit, sorry, Jesus has said earlier that fruit is the mark of a true disciple. And just as that is true, love is, is also a distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus, because as disciples of Jesus, we follow his lead. His lead was love. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he went to the cross. Why? Because God so loved the world, right? John 3.16. In the next verse, Jesus defines love, this great love. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What, what do we think when we, when we see a movie or a show where someone jumps in front of their friend or their significant other, maybe to take a bullet or to save them somehow, we think that that person must have really loved the person they're sacrificing for, right? And, and here... Jesus is about to die for his disciples, really for the whole world. And he's trying to explain that, he's trying to explain not only what he's about to do, but what his disciples need to do as his followers. Live sacrificially, love sacrificially. And Jesus is giving us a foreshadow of the cross. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Sacrificial love. All right, verse 14, Jesus moves on. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what did he just command? In verse 12, he just commanded that you love one another as I have loved you, right? Again, love is the distinguishing mark. Of disciples of Jesus. Jesus calls his disciples friends. And there are only two others in the Bible who are called friends of God Moses and Abraham. Why were they called friends of God? Both Abraham and Moses trusted and followed God, and they were obedient to him. And Jesus calls all who obey him friends. And so what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? He says in verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. A servant typically just follows orders. They are not always privy to why, what their master is asking or why their ma- master is asking them to do something or why their master wants something done in a certain way, or, or what he's thinking. Jesus has revealed the Father's will to the disciples. He's revealed, he's still their Lord and their Savior. He's about to be their Savior. But they are more than servants of their Lord, because Jesus has, has not just told them what to do, but why. He's been revealing God's purpose and God's plan. They won't, they won't fully understand this until the Holy Spirit comes and opens their eyes. But God's revelation has been given to them through and in Jesus. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Although the disciples followed Jesus when he called them, they didn't choose him. Jesus chose them. This was not typical in Jesus' day. Disciples weren't chosen by their rabbis. They, in Jesus' day, the students or the disciples would choose the rabbi. And they would choose what rabbi they wanted to follow. But Jesus points out that he actually sought them out and chose them. And why did he choose them and appoint them? What did he choose them and appoint them to do? That you should go and bear fruit, he says here. But here in this case, unlike what Jesus has said earlier, where the fruit is the evidence of being a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus, here it's a little different. He's saying, go and bear fruit. And it's likely referring to missionary work to evangelism. The disciples would go and they would evangelize and the result of sharing the gospel would be fruit, meaning new believers who would abide in Jesus. And as they go, the Father would give the disciples everything that they needed to accomplish this work when they asked him in prayer for these things. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love One another. If the disciples abide in Jesus, they will love one another. And the disciples' love for one another is related to their mission in the world. Jesus told the disciples earlier in chapter 13, He said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is one of the distinguishing marks of a disciple of Jesus. And when the church is unloving, toward each other when there is bickering and slander and disunity we lose our witness to the world because that's not what Jesus teaches a disciple will look like the fruit of, the, of a follower of Jesus is the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness and self-control we don't produce these things on our own but as we abide in the true vine, in Jesus, and as the vine dresser, the Father works in our hearts to produce this fruit and to, and to produce it abundantly, we, we don't lack these things. So if, if you're lacking self-control, if you're lacking joy and peace or, or any of these things, it's because you're not abiding in Jesus. And you need to hear that this morning Because we don't produce these things on our own, they come from being connected to Jesus, the true vine. That's what he's teaching here. He is our savior, he is our strength, he is our vine, he is the giver of life, amen? Let's pray.